Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief, our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Melissa. I'm here with Carrie Elavelt. And today, Carrie, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, we are going to be doing our annual check-in about the GOP. That's right, the Republican Party. And we have our favorite, most informed guest about the Republican Party, uh, Tim Miller of the Bulwark would also yep. be a would would be a close second, <laughs> okay. close second. Okay, I do like him, but Sarah Longwell, my old buddy from D.C., is is our favorite GOP she, she crystal is. ball prognosticator for sure. At once a year, we do this. It's all we can take at Daily Coast. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say, you guys only talk about Republicans like once a year, <laughs> one time, <laughs> them all year. We only check in with someone from the Republican Party once a year. <laughs> Sarah, so, are, you, are you still a wait, registered Republican? You know, that's a great question. I think I probably am in D.C. registered. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it's because I wanted to make sure that when I voted for Joe Biden, I got counted as a Republican oh. voting for Joe Biden. Ah, um, I like that. But a lot of times in D.C., you'd register as a Democrat, not for any allegiance to a political party, but so you can have any say in local politics whatsoever. Right. Yep, makes sense. Right. Makes sense. But well, spiritually, spiritually, I would call myself, I'm sort of a renegade independent <clears throat> at this point. Renegade independent. Okay. You have it there. So, so if you haven't guessed it by now, Sarah Longwell is, uh, is our guest. Uh, she is my old buddy from DC. She's pro-democracy, anti-Trump, uh, publisher of the ball work, host of the great podcast, the focus oh, group, which if you so good. haven't so good. checked it out, guys. get to it. Um, you know, it's different from polling because you actually get to hear voters in their own words say what they think uh, about the issue. So a lot of times polls can tell us sort of what they think, but not why they think it. The focus groups are really interesting. I find them incredibly helpful in how I shape my coverage. Sarah actually has her hands in a lot of different <laughs> hands and her paws in a lot of different pies. But those are the main ones that uh, for the purposes of today and we are so glad to have her back to check in on the patient known as the GOP. And Sarah, from a pro-democracy standpoint, how is the patient doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been pretty bleak for a while. Um, I will say, you know, <clears throat> 2022 was great. I have a, I'm on a high from 2022 that has not let up um, because we defeated some of the worst anti-democracy Republicans in the swing states. If you try to imagine an alternate universe in which Carrie Lake is the governor of Arizona uh, and, you know, Doug Mastriano is the governor of Pennsylvania, like we're just in a totally different. I don't want to. I do not want to imagine that world, Sarah. Yeah. And so I think that that was just a really good brushback pitch against this Republican Party. And so I think it's been interesting to watch them stagger around and try to figure out because they are in control of the house. And so they want to, you know, they want to telegraph we're in control. We're in our, you know, big kid seat here. And then, you know, it's a disaster from the jump. Kevin McCarthy's got his, you know, just the burn it all down caucus coming for him. They have no interest in governing. And I actually, I was probably the most annoyed I've been since 22 is during the coverage of that when people were talking about the Republicans as though there was a governing wing and a chaos wing. And I was like, no, there's not. Uh, there's no governing. There might be some governing people uh, that are still there, but there's no wing. And so the way that I, I sort of feel like things are now, and it's so it's so weird to think about it this way, but there's there's like a MAGA establishment 
it's kind of an unholy alliance between Kevin McCarthy, Donald Trump, and Marjorie Taylor Greene that is formed that's just sort of about a particular kind of power, but it is like sort of institutional power that they want to wield. But then there's like the chaos uh, MAGA wing, which is more like they've internalized everything that Trump showed them. Trump's not actually a part of them, but they have internalized the idea that if you are the squeaky wheel, uh, if you say no to everything, if you try to burn it all down, that there's a constituency for that um, and that you can be famous and you can go on Bannon's show. And so that that sort of it's Fame. all MAGA. It's all MAGA, you know, from top to bottom. There's no there's no sort of pro-democracy side. Um, and it's even weird who they call moderates. Like there aren't that many moderates left. Um, and so the, the party's in a bad place, but uh, it's not in a particularly dominant place, which is nice. How do you how do you categorize at this point? Uh, someone like Mitch McConnell, like, does he have a power base anymore? So he's a power base in Washington. Um, I mean, he's still he's still like the best. I don't know. Is Brinksman the right word? He's still the best person. And, you know, people are going to be deferential to him. I would say um, Rick Scott's attempt to come at the king in that way has been pretty it's been like much less advantageous than the chaos caucus that came from McCarthy. Like they, they, they hurt McCarthy. They embarrassed McCarthy. I would say Rick Scott's just kind of McConnell's been like Teflon. Um, and so the, the problem for McConnell is he has tried a couple of times to figure out how you mount pushback. Uh, but he's never quite done it effectively. Um, you know, his moment was right after the insurrection. He made a choice he screwed it up, and now oh, he's dealing with the God. consequences, right? I, Where- I 100% agree with you on that. I can't tell you how many times people are like, well, McC- McConnell's, you know, it's unfortunate. I'm like, he had a chance, and he didn't find those 17 votes. You know, he didn't put his butt on the line to, like, make that happen and to actually impeach Donald Trump. So anyway, yeah, so, go ahead, please. Yeah. No, so actually, I want to I wanna sort of use that a little bit of a question, Sarah. Um, we I didn't, we didn't want to talk about the the Carrie Lake alternate universe, but I am curious what you think the GOP would look like today in that alternate universe where Mitch McConnell actually follows through on his criticism of Trump and whips for impeachment. What would that have looked like today? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, like first of all, there's no Trump back in the primary, so uh, there's that piece of it. Uh, and and honestly, Mitch McConnell at that point could have. You know what? Because just even thinking back about the timeline and how that would have impacted things, Donald Trump owned those midterms in terms of picking the primary challengers. Like one of the places Mitch McConnell caved is on like Herschel Walker. You know, like in the beginning there was this whole thing in this in establishment DC uh, Republican establishment DC circles, which I still dabble in from time to time, where everyone's kind of like Herschel's not going to make it. Like this guy's not going to be the candidate. And then you know Trump just like runs roughshod because McConnell's early kind of signal was like, yeah, we're not doing this. And then, of course, he's like, I guess we're doing this. Um, And, you know, I think McConnell has been made to look like a fool. Like he came out after that, too, and said, yeah, if Trump's the nominee, I'll vote for him. He was kind of sweaty when he said it. You could tell. I think to the extent that the party has moved in a place that Mitch McConnell has like some institutional control over, but he's got no spiritual or intellectual control over. But but that that would be the big thing, right? If he had gotten rid of Trump, Trump wouldn't have made his picks in the primary. He wouldn't have dragged all those election deniers through. Um, the election denialism probably wouldn't have taken root as deeply. Uh, and they probably would have done much better and had much better candidates in the midterms. No, yeah. I mean, they, may, they may have had the Senate because uh, Mehmet Oz probably wouldn't, you know, he got his boost from Trump. 
a generic uh, Republican would have done better. Obviously, in Arizona, um, a generic Republican would have done better than than um, than the creepy. <laughs> what was his, what's his Blake name? Masters. Yeah, Blake yeah, Masters. yeah, Blake, Blake. Unabomber guy. Wait, yeah, can no, I just add what what people Georgia, are always what what people always want to say too is well, it's not McConnell's fault because Trump picked all the people. Well, it is McConnell's fault first of all because he didn't impeach, he didn't whip for those votes, but also he failed miserably at attracting better candidates in New Hampshire, like uh, Governor Sununu there, and you know Governor Ducey in Arizona to run for Senate. And he couldn't get those because they, they didn't want to be part of his do nothing caucus. So, you know, he failed also to get reasonable candidates, not even just in the places where he, you know, where he kind of caved to Trump. Yeah, but this is where he gets run over. Right. So he's making his pitch to Sununu. He's making his pitch to Hogan. He's making his pitch to Ducey. And they're not saying they're saying, Mitch, we love you, man. We'd love to do it for you. But I'm not taking this guy yelling at me through my primary. I'm not taking this guy calling me names and and it's not even about the do nothing congress like they didn't want to be part of trump's republican party they all wanted to wait to run for president to say no 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 i'm going to be the person i mean they're still like egomaniac crazy people to some degree on this like yeah i'm the one who's going to move us past trump and this republican party um but that that's why they didn't nobody wanted to deal with like being part of the the trump and and, and mcconnell couldn't credibly say Hey, we got him under control. We're running him off. No, we've got the He knows he doesn't. He knows it would have been painful for them and he couldn't do a lot to make it better. So I think we should, I do think we should move forward a little bit and talk about 2024. I do just want to ha- ask one more question about McConnell and Ke- Kevin McCarthy running the House for the GOP and, and Mitch McConnell running the Senate as minority leader. How are they impacting each other as they position for 2024? Because I mean, McCarthy's only got a handful, essentially, of seats uh, to, uh, you know, insulate him from losing the the House. McConnell has an amazing Senate map. And I'm just wondering how you see them interacting, playing off of each other. I mean, is McConnell trying to run as far away from Kevin McCarthy and his crazy caucus as possible? Yeah, I mean, the biggest, like, yes, but the biggest difference is, is that McConnell is going to play in primaries. McConnell is going to go this time. He is not going to make the same mistake he made last time. He's going to say, Trump is weaker. I'm in charge. We're going to go get candidates that can win. We've got a good map. They And they will. Like, they will recruit better candidates this time around. You know, McCarthy, to get that speakership, cut this ridiculous deal saying he wouldn't play in primaries because a part of what they wanted to like rest out of him was the idea that he would try to get more electable candidates by taking out some of the crazier factions. They basically, they got that from him. He won't go play, he won't take out the Madison Cawthorns. And so where McCarthy, uh, where, where uh, McConnell's going to be trying to put himself in the best position to win races and try to get normal candidates in there, McCarthy doesn't have that. He just like doesn't even have that card. So Kira, I know you want to move on to 2024, but I, I have one more question about 2022. And so we know that Democrats exceeded all expectations. Republicans didn't get their wave. And a big part of that was persuasion. And, and you know, we've all long had this argument about persuasion versus mobilization, right? Do we, do we convince people that aren't Democrats to vote Democrats? Do we get non-voting Democratic-leaning um, non-voters to actually turn out and vote, right? Turns out we did a little bit of both this time, and it actually worked out really well, right? So the argument becomes a little less clear-cut, it seems to me. Um, you've been talking to people, you do your focus groups. What do you see in people's voting decisions that benefited the Democrats 
last year that, you know, bridge forward into 2024? Yeah, I mean, first of all, let me just throw in my two cents on the persuasion side. Um, you know, we we spent a lot of persuasion money. We were the biggest outside spender against Cary Lake. And uh, I think that a big part of building those permission structures uh, was, and it, it, it dovetails with the question you're asking, right? So that the reason that Blake Masters, I was doing all these focus groups with swing voters the whole time. And it was it was super interesting because the swing voters would say, I don't really like the job that Biden's doing. I'm frustrated with the state of things. I want to vote for a Republican, but I want to vote for Blake Masters. He is so weird. And he's and, and people would always say kind of like he, his position on abortion, he's an election denier and the Unabomber thing. And like that's how they would talk about all these candidates like Doug Mastriano. Uh, they would say, well, he's like such a he's like a he's a weird, crazy person. I'm not going to vote for him. And so like, it, the qual- the candidate quality or lack thereof. And the way that that came together with the abortion issue, which was really people's way in to understand how somebody was too extreme, plus the election denialism, which was like the other check in the box of this person is too extreme for me to vote for, painted an overall picture of candidates that even people who were Republican friendly, Republican curious, maybe even really wanted to vote for Republicans, didn't want to vote for those individual Republicans. And a lot of times that was coupled with Democratic candidates who were pretty broadly acceptable. You know, Mark Kelly, I just had a lot of people in the focus groups kind of be like, I really love Mark Kelly, but he's like, okay. Or, or actually the most popular one, people liked Josh Shapiro, the, the new governor of Pennsylvania. I mean, obviously he wanted a blowout by 15 points, um, but he was the person that people were most positive about. Um, you know, Gretchen Whitmer had a, had a it, big it, part. By yeah. people, are you saying independents or Republicans? No, swing voters. Or? Yeah, swing, swing voters. voters. Okay. You know, people who, who had voted for, Republicans even voted for Trump the first time. Josh Shapiro had done a lot of local work that had people, they like knew that he had uh, prosecuted the Catholic Church for pedophilia in Pennsylvania. They, They knew a bunch of stuff about him. He was, you know, he'd been AG and they just felt connected to him. Um, and Gretchen Whitmer was someone who, you know, people were kind of frustrated with Gretchen Whitmer around some COVID things. And, like she hadn't fixed the roads that she said she was going to fix. This one kind of broadly liked her and they really didn't like Tudor Dixon. That the, 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 her saying, this is where abortion again became sort of the defining way of thinking about somebody who's too extreme. Tudor Dixon saying the like 12 year old, you know, would have to, they were raped, would have to carry um, the baby to term. Like, Everybody remembered that. Everyone knew that. Every swing voter was like, absolutely not. She's disqualified from me voting for, I guess I'll vote for Whitmer. Um, And so, you know, when Republicans are just hanging themselves with crazy candidates and the Democrats are running pretty broadly appealing candidates, even, you know, Cortez Masto, I thought, ran a pretty good campaign. We were really involved in that race. The Democratic Secretary of State candidates were really strong against some real whack jobs. Um, It was like pretty, I did a lot of work trying to make Secretary of State races relevant because nobody really knew what those did. And in the end, there were real marginal differences, like people that, that where the secretary of states ran behind other people in the party because people did think that they were too extreme. They the election denialism stuff broke through. Did they didn't think they should be in charge of elections? So let me just ask real quick because you you obviously put a lot of time in to looking at these democratic candidates. In terms of, let I mean, Marcos is going to hate me for this, but let's just say Biden decides not to run. Okay, who do you think? is top one, two, three in terms of potential benchers who you think based on your information with, no, not just who you like, but who you think um, based on your information doing focus groups with swing voters and persuadable voters, who do you think has the right pitch for that? 
Yeah, I mean, not to over overdo it on this guy, but I, I just Josh Shapiro was kind of a marvel in terms of how much Republican voters, not not even swing voters, like straight up Republican voters, are like, I actually really like him. Yeah, I think he's totally good, um, and that's why you saw a fifteen point blowout. You know, Whitmer. I'm I've been a, like sort of a Shapiro Whitmer twenty twenty eight uh, stan. I think that that is a. That. <laughs> yeah, well, either way, either way. Yeah, Whitmer Shapiro, Shapiro Whitmer. I, I mean, she's obviously, look, I think Midwest governors, governors of big swing states, so these blue, I think that's really, um, I think that's a super strong ticket. Uh, I also think, you know, I, I think Warnock um, has like pulled out a bunch of tough ones in a tough state um, in an environment where Kemp won by like a gajillion points. I think that's pretty impressive. I think he's got a story to tell. I think he's figured out how to sort of work with swing voters um, and bring them in. So I, I got to say, though, it is just to your point about Biden, the Dems, I think, have a really strong 28 bench, really strong 28 bench. You know, sh- like Shapiro can't run right now. I, I don't want to get into the Biden conversation if you don't want to get into the Biden conversation. But obviously, I want to get into the Biden conversation. Well, come on, come on. <laughs> now when we've got her on to talk about the Republican Party, you and okay. I can All hash right. out right. the Democrats <laughs> later. Well, okay, but uh, I guess I just it, you know if if he's running, he's he's running. If it was going to be somebody in twenty four, like if he wasn't running, I think I think Whitmer would be a strong. I don't think you can go with like a first term governor. I think you need somebody who's a second term who's proven that they can win a second time with a big margin like she did. So those are the people that came out. And I'm also look, I'm very I've, I've been very excited about your Abigail Spanbergers and Alyssa Slotkins. I just think mm-hmm. that some of these. Um, you know, in these tough, swingy districts, these women with foreign policy experience, CIA, like those are good for the moment where we are. So one of the issues, and, and maybe you could speak to it some more, but obviously was was abortion and the Dobbs decision. By all indications, the, the mainstream Republican Party, which, you know, is MAGA dominated at this point, but they seem to want to double down on abortion. I mean, the lesson should have been, even Trump said we, we, we were too extreme on abortion. And obviously he got smacked down, but it does seem like they, they didn't learn that lesson or, or they think they just didn't message it enough. Well, this is when you asked about the health of the Republican Party and I was sort of saying they're like casting about, this is part of the weird thing that's happening is there's people in the party who understand super bad issue for them. Let's pass compromise sort of 15 week exceptions for rape, incest, the life of mother bills as fast as we can and get this off the table. But then there's like the activist base. And, and this is these are the people who let's go down with the ship on Trump. Like, let's be purist. I, I, I got to tell you, the, the lack of pragmatism on kind of the MAGA wing of the party, like they're not taking the lessons uh, from 22 and 20 and saying, you know what, actually, people might not like what we're selling right now because there's what's built up in this over the last decade is just um, and I would say the left used to have this have all like this problem that I didn't think the right had because I felt like the right had, was more pragmatic and it wasn't doing purity tests as much. But the right is now super purity test driven, super issue driven, you know, primaries uh, are going to are going to be really hard for Republicans because the gap between what base voters want and what normie swing voters will tolerate is getting super big. It's just getting really big. And that's that's the problem. Straddling that for Republicans is getting harder and harder. And it seems to me that they also have a the, before it was, you know, it was the cliche, right? You, you run to appeal to your party's base in the primary and then you swing to the center for the general election. 
I didn't see a lot of swinging to the center. I don't know if they're even capable of that kind of, of mental shift where we're going to say, okay, I'm going to tamp down on some of my, my less popular um, positions. Like they, they seem to just double down and, and by sheer force of will that people will somehow vote for those unpopular positions. Yeah. I mean, the people like, I mean, it depends on who you're talking about, I guess there's, and it depends on the particular dynamic. I agree with that. Although, you know, I think that, like, I think Ron DeSantis, uh, just since if we want to get into 24 and talk about Republicans, I do think he's got a little bit, he understands the base general dynamic. He, it's weird because he is going hard. He's like kind of trying to outrun Trump on the right, but I think he's got a pretty clear strategy of, I got to pick up more of these always Trumpers. Like I, I cannot let Trump live with a plurality of like 30%. I've got to start digging into them. And so I think he's going to run hard for it for a while until he feels like he's cratered Trump. And then I think he'll start moving back in because there'll be a slightly more of an open primary feel. I mean, I think, I think Ron DeSantis runs differently if it's one kind of like uh, mano a mano with Trump versus open field with Nikki Haley and Tim Scott uh, and, and Mike Pence. I think DeSantis will understand He's not like the most adept politician, but he'll understand that particular two-step. These candidates in 22, Carrie Lake didn't have a, a mode in which she knew how to like be normal for centrist voters. Like the election she's, was stolen always. She calls herself governor now. Right, she's running like a shadow government in Arizona. She's both the governor now, but also talking about a Senate run. It's great. <laughs> the good news is, is that she, she can have the Unabomber as part of her cabinet. Um, <laughs> So, so this is a good this is a good opportunity though for us to get into a poll that you guys recently ran at the Bulwark, right? You uh, you had um, Whitairs, sorry, Whitairs. I wanted to say Whitaker, but anyway, Whitairs, and he 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 did a poll for you guys of Republican voters, right? This wasn't this what this was just Republican voters, and a couple interesting points there. You said you know the roughly thirty percent of Trumpers. Um, one data point that was super interesting, everybody jumped on, was the idea that if Trump ran as an independent or ran as a third party candidate and you had DeSantis and, and you know, uh, Biden, I think it was you tested, that that Trump would take uh, 28 percent of the Republican vote. Um, that's 28% of Republicans, right? Not 28% overall, but 28% of Republicans. And so obviously if that's really true or if it's even a shade of true, right? It doesn't have to actually be 30%, but if it's really true or if it's a shade of, of you know, if it's like 15% or something, you know, that's that's like the death knell for a GOP nominee. Um, let me just say one other thing before I ask you to, to reflect on that, which is... Um, you guys did a bunch of polling about who, you know, the Republican voters like best um, in a in a head to head between Trump and DeSantis. Uh, you get you end up getting. Uh, um, let's see. What was it? Sorry, I'm looking at uh, it's 28 percent for Trump, 44 percent for DeSantis. Is that right? Um, oh, no. I think it was no, no, 30. No. I think you might be looking yeah. at the three-way ballot. There's like a, I was. There's a head-to-head, there's a three-way ballot, a 10-way ballot. You're right. I'm looking at the wrong one. The head-to-head between DeSantis and Trump is 52% for DeSantis and 30, 30% for Trump. If you look at the candidates, if you look at more candidates besides just DeSantis and Trump, generally speaking, it's DeSantis on top, Trump next, Pence next, Nikki Haley next, 
and then everybody else is like in in the one one three two percentile yeah so um so anyway i just do you think that 28 percent if trump ran third party is true and I know it's your poll. I know you're not going to say, yeah, that's true. That's a trash poll. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, no. I think but, it's yeah. high. I think it's high. I think it's high for where you'll be ultimately when people are faced with a head to head decision. But but let me just tell you, let me just back up for a second and tell you why we did this poll, because obviously I'm a qual person, um, but I've been doing the focus group since 2022 and I've been just talking to Republicans. I've been since 2022 and I had watched. I'm not sure when the last time I was on here, but. One of the things that was interesting is right around January 6th, we saw a real nosedive in the number of people saying that they wanted Trump to run again in 2024. And that's when DeSantis was starting to have his boomlet. And the numbers went from like more than half of every group saying they wanted Trump to run again to sometimes nobody saying it. But, you know, there were still people in the mix who wanted Trump to run again. But after 2022, you could not find somebody who wanted Trump to run again. And so we were doing this thing with when you find a focus group, you do a screen. And we were just looking for Trump 16, Trump 2020 voters. We were like, I know there's people who still want Trump. So we screened for people who view Trump very favorably. And then we started talking to those groups and we were like, oh, these people are partying like it's 2015. Like they are ride or die for Trump. Nobody but him. He's the best. And one of the things we would ask them in the focus groups is if Trump runs as an independent, will you vote for him anyway, even if even if there's another Republican in. And they were like, yes, definitely. And I was like, I need to know how big this group is. I need to know just roughly how big this group is right this minute. And so I called Witt, who's a GOP pollster, and said, hey, he had done a cool poll before that I like where he had separated people into always Trump, maybe Trump, never Trump segments. And I was like, hey, I want to do a version of that, but I really want to get at this question of how many people would follow Trump as an independent, because I think that's a truer reflection of how dug in people are. And that 28% is people right now who are like, I'm, I'm Trump or bust, you know? Now, that number goes down. That number goes down as you get closer. That number goes down when the reality of a, of a Democratic president is in there. Uh, Trump's been knocked out for some reason, you know, and probably if he's lost the primary, they've gone through some process of grieving that and moving on. Um, that being said, I don't know if Trump runs as an independent. I do know he's a very gnarly uh, presence on whoever beat him, uh, likely DeSantis. And for all of the should Joe Biden, shouldn't Joe Biden, the one thing he's really got going for him is that I think a head to head for Joe Biden with anybody under the age of 60 is really tough, really tough. But the great news is, is Donald Trump will be there to tell a chunk of his people what a jerk and a failure and a loser that Republican candidate is. Because Donald Trump does not care about the Republican Party. He just cares about himself. He's just looking to get attention. And so I, I think that that is good news for the Democrats. Really rough news for Republicans. Even I mean, what if that number's 5%, 7%? It's, those are decisive numbers in that scenario. And so Trump is just a problem for Republicans. But the other part of it, and the, scary, the other sort of scary flip side is, that's always what's partly given Trump leverage because everybody knows that he's a burn it all down guy. If it's not him, they also know that he can take some of his people and walk, which makes them, they are freaked out about taking him on directly. So they don't. So Sarah, um, Carrie and I have this theory uh, that um, Ron DeSantis, it's kind of like a Scott Walker or a Fred Thompson or a Jeb Bush figure that is more impressive in theory and when people read about him, because he's he's saying people read, he's saying the things they want to see, you know, anti-critical race theory, you know, racism and xenophobia. 
but he's he's short. He's got a weird voice. He doesn't have a lot of presence when he walks into a room. And so we're wondering if he would actually survive the glare of the national spotlight. So I'm curious that what your thoughts are on that. And if you have any focus group um, anecdotes that maybe speak to that. Yeah, well, so the focus groups are pretty uniformly in his corner. Um, but the thing about the focus groups is that they have this very shallow relationship with him right now, right? They've seen some YouTube clips of him yelling at Disney, calling them groomers, yelling at teenagers in masks, yelling at the media in his state, standing at the podium and shaking, you know, lecturing people. And they're like, that's the kind of guy I want. But to your point, I, I remember this moment in the debate where he was debating Charlie Crist, not not the most astounding opponent, Charlie Crist. Uh, and, and but Chris kind of says to him, yeah, but you're going to go run for president. You're not even going to you're not even going to be here for governor. And Ron DeSantis just like starts smiling awkwardly, shuffling where he and then and 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 Chris kind of presses him on it and he just keeps smiling and staring and won't answer. And then he starts kind of being like, move on. And he gets, you know, that weird grimacey smile. Anyway, I was like, oh, this guy's not great. He's not he's not so good at politics. There's no there's no charm. There's no ability to just I mean, literally, this is the he knows he's going to get asked this question. You say, I don't know. I'm not thinking about running for president right now. I'm just thinking about the people of Florida. Not that hard. Not that hard. Uh, but he doesn't know. do it. And he just like gets mad. And so I, I don't know a ton about DeSantis. I do think the question of whether he's not whether or not he's Scott Walker is a real one. That being said. He does understand what these voters want. The way that they talk about DeSantis is super clear. He's Trump without the baggage. So Trump is still the center of their world in terms of, I want a fighter, I want someone who's going to own the libs, I want a little bit of performance. And this is what Ron DeSantis gives them by saying, woke, 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 yelling at people, whatever. They they do like that. And so even if we, and I, this is something you always have to, I, I try to remember. I find Donald Trump entirely repellent. Like the, 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 his face makes me, it's gross. Lots <laughs> of people found him charming. He was a celebrity. And so like, I have to remember that when I find Ron DeSantis off-putting a lot of, for a lot of people, what he's saying though is resonating. And they do like the fact that he's like, seems mad and is going to like fight about it. I, I don't know how he'll perform, honestly. Like I could definitely go either way. And that's just like, we'll have to wait and see. I do know. I mean, the rap on him is he doesn't have a lot of close advisors. The uh, Wit was on my podcast. He was his pollster against Gillum in 18. And like none of those people are there anymore. You know, he's got this very tight sort of group. Mostly listens to his wife. And no allies and like other governors, like within the yeah, broader establishment. And so yeah. he doesn't seem to any. He also doesn't seem to like the glad hand at all with donors. Uh, I mean, you know, which is part of the process. I mean, it's part of like showing up with the donors and letting them, you know, have 30 minutes of your time or whatever it is, or an hour or whatever. So let me just throw something oh, at you. Carrie, out of the blue. Uh, yeah, oh, Carrie. Yeah. So we're almost out of time. So this no, is... this is it. <laughs> There's so, so much more. There's so much more. I have so many thoughts. I should keep my shorter. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if, if Longwell hadn't droned on, I might've been able to get yeah. more of my own stuff in. My bad. But... <laughs> So, okay, I think this is a fair question to end on, though, because virtually no one ever brings this up. I think Brian Kemp is a sleeper candidate, okay? I think he won uh, for, for the GOP, obviously. I think he would be far more formidable in a general election than Ron DeSantis, personally. Of course, you know, I'm not a Republican, but, um, but you know, he literally beat Trump at his own game in Georgia. 
Um, he's never said ill, you know, an ill thing about Trump, too. He hasn't like burned a bridge with Trump. He just sort of like won Georgia. He defeated Trump's weak candidates. Um, you know, he won when Trump's candidate Herschel Walker couldn't unseat Warnock. Um, he's very popular there. I just think he's got a lot to sell. The people in Georgia think it's a good economy. He's done a good job. They appreciate his handling of COVID. And he's what he's like the only guy I think that can legitimately say, I won without Trump. In fact, I won when Trump was trying to do me in and he couldn't do me in. And um, and I, I'm not saying anything bad about Trump. I'm just saying I did it. And he I think he will have in a general election, he would have a ton of appeal to swing voters. So I just wonder what you think about whether or not he can emerge as a candidate in this in in a GOP field. I do. I just I don't think he's going to run this time. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I I take your analysis point. He is. And the thing is, is people sort of talk about him in his state, in his state. He does not have the national name ID that uh, DeSantis does. They talk about mm-hmm. him in the state the same way they talk about DeSantis, like the things they love about him. It's great on COVID. He passed that voting bill that and that was one of the ways he got around Trump is he passed this voter integrity bill that made them feel like he he, tur- he made it right. Um, and he's dealt with Trump just by ignoring Trump. Uh, the thing is, is can't do that if Trump's in the race. I'm not sure how, how, like Ron DeSantis has national ambitions. It's Ron DeSantis's moment. He can't afford to sit this one out. Kemp can. I just, I, I'm not, he might get it. I'm not saying he definitely won't, but like, I, I, he, I, I agree with you as a sleeper candidate. If he runs, I'm not sure that he'll get in. Is that Sarah, it? Do I get to ask more questions? I, no. I, <laughs> you got a really, really <laughs> fast one. I mean, I don't what? know. Sarah might have an appointment she needs to get to, but. Oh, no. Um, Sarah's got nothing better to do than to talk to us. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Um, okay. So one last thing. One last thing. As you look, okay, you can choose. I have two questions and you can choose which one to answer. It's Biden's about to give the State of the Union. What do you think Biden needs to do? Not just in terms of the State of the Union, but, you know, what do you think he needs to do for the Democratic Party? Or what metric do you have your eye on that other people, you never, you rarely hear other people talk about, but because you do the focus groups, like there's a certain metric that you kind of just know, this is important for me to keep my eye on, and I always keep my eye on that thing. Just keep in mind Ooh. that if you answer the Sodu question, that that when people listen to this, it will have already taken place. Okay, well then, I I, I just have a stronger opinion on that because I would answer the focus group question by saying the thing I've been looking for lately has been around the always Trump and trying to understand that size. Um, on the State of the Union, though, do you know what? It is so much less important what Biden says and so much more important how he looks. The big thing in the focus groups that comes up, people are, and this is not, this is not, shouldn't shock anybody, but people are worried about his age. Democrats, swing voters, they think he's too old to run. And uh, he doesn't get that many shots to sort of show people a real spry version of himself. And I think tonight, less what he says, but if he comes out and he, because you know, sometimes he gives those performances where you're like, you're, you're, you're clenched the whole time being like, get through it, man. Don't, don't, don't. Don't slip up. Don't say Iran when you meet Iraq or whichever one, just, you know, nail it. And if he has one of those things where he looks really good, he looks really sharp, he sounds sharp, that that's going to matter more than like the specific things he talks about. Sarah right. Longwell is the publisher of The Bulwark. She, her podcast, The Focus Group, it's amazing, guys. It is such a fun podcast. I, I'm not even I'm not even kidding. And is there anything else, Sarah, you want to you want to pitch that you're doing anything cool? 
Uh, you know, uh, do check out the focus group podcast. We, uh, listen to focus groups. If you ever want to know why, why do Trump voters think the things that they think we're going to let you hear directly from them for a long time. I didn't really like being, I didn't want you to take my word for it. And so now we bring them directly to you. Check it out. So, so cool. Sarah, this is one of my favorite episodes in a long time. This was so much fun. And Carrie, does it have to be once a year? Like let's, let's, I don't know. Wait. It, it depends, friends, Harry. Why don't you talk to me more often? Have me on the show. <laughs> Once a year, like can we make it quarterly? I, I mean, this is so I, much fun. Yeah, no, we can we can definitely have Sarah back more often as long as she can make time for us. That's all I got to say. So uh, we, we appreciate that. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thank you so very very much. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I was I was. I mean, we have this theory about Ron DeSantis, and and maybe we are trapped in that like nobody's going to vote for Trump because he's so, so terrible and abhorrent. And maybe that's what we think about Ron DeSantis. But really, he's such a small person when you see him on the stage. And maybe a clip, you know, anybody can take any clip and edit it to make him look like kick-ass and like the fighter. But that overall presence that Ron DeSantis brings into a room, it's always very underwhelming, in my opinion. But again, I'm not a Republican. And, and so I, I, it's hard to get into that mindset and think, think like them. But I, I still, my operating theory is still that he's going to be like one of those long list of Republicans who everybody thinks are going to be such a power in a primary and then fizzle out for whatever reason, like Jeb Bush, like um, Fred Thompson, like Scott Walker of Wisconsin. I mean, these were all people everybody assumed were front runners, if not the front runner, only to flame out. In some ways, it doesn't matter much who wins the nomination if it's not Trump. It matters more that it's simply not Trump um, because he is going to do everything he can to tear down that candidate. And it doesn't matter whether that candidate is Ron DeSantis or, you know, Brian Kemp. I mean, it sounds like Sarah doesn't think he's running, but, you know, it just doesn't matter who Glenn Youngkin. I mean, Nikki Haley, whatever. It doesn't matter. Trump is going to be seething mad and he's either going to run, you know, launch a scrappy third party run or he's going mm-hmm. to do everything possible to tear that candidate down. So I, there's a piece of me that really feels like in some ways it almost doesn't matter. There, there's no way that anyone I think can try t- can tie up even Ron DeSantis, all of Trump's votes, you know, to, to Sarah's point. It's not going to be 28 percent that walk away. But it's just it's just impossible for me to believe that that um, anyone's going to be able to bring along all of those people that Trump brought into the party. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely challenging. It's a loose, loose situation. And yeah, they got the presidency in 2016. But I mean, we already have (laughs) they've lost what 18, 20, 22, three elections in a row that they've lost because directly because of Donald Trump. I wouldn't mind if that if that streak continued at least one more one more. uh, Absolutely. I mean, you know, they made it look the Republican Party made a deal with the devil and they've been paying for it ever since. And God bless them. I hope they continue to pay for it for a long time. That is our show for today. Carrie, that was awesome. I'm not kidding. Like we got to have Sarah on more often than (laughs) annually. I'm not. She's so she's so good. She's so thoughtful. And I appreciate her a lot so we yeah absolutely so thanks everybody thank you carrie for being my awesome uh co-host thanks to walter for producing thanks to everybody that helps behind the scenes uh dorothy paul and uh kara thank you 
the viewer, listener, and Daily Coast reader for being part of this movement, fighting for our democracy. This battle ain't ending anytime soon. The other side doesn't rest. We can't rest either. So thank you for being part of that. Love and appreciate everything you do. Catch you all next week. Thank you.